Thank you, everybody. Go ahead and be seated. We are so glad that you are here today with us. If you are traveling over this uh, extended weekend, we welcome you here to Chattanooga, and thanks for coming uh, to be a part of our worship and praise time here at East Brainerd today. Uh, please keep in prayer uh, many of our um, teens and also college students. They have Our seniors have traveled down to... Panama City this weekend, along with many of our college students, to be a part of uh, a great weekend. Gulf Coast Getaway, they'll be coming back uh, later this evening, so please we have other members of our, members of our church family who are taking advantage of um, some time away from work and being able to travel this weekend, so uh, be mindful of them. Again, we are grateful that you are here. Uh, on the back of your glory, praise, and honor, we just want to let you know that when we finish up our time uh, here this morning, you'll have the opportunity to spread out all of our campus and participate in different um, small groups that we have uh, that meet here, and you can see the different topics that are discussed and we encourage you to go and dig deeper and study with uh, friends, uh, friends and strangers alike and enjoy that time of, of Bible study. Your kids that just uh, were up here on stage, they have gone to our children's center. They'll be taking the classes as well. Only thing we ask is that you please take them home because we cannot feed everybody. Right? Take them home, feed them, and then uh, bring them back next time that we're able to, uh, to get together. Man, we are so glad. We're so glad to have you as we are, as we are looking to awaken. No, it is not, um, it is not what we do during uh, sermon time, trying to wake everybody up. Uh, this is what we are doing in our life as we are trying to see God more, more clearly. And I was thinking this week about something that I remember from my childhood that was one of those kind of rites of passage. Kind of how you uh, awaken to uh, something that is new, something that is, is larger than life in your world that you didn't realize was there. Uh, some of you might have grown up going to a county fair. Anybody grow up, anybody grow up doing that, right? Going to the county fair? If not, maybe cornbread festival. We got any cornbread festival people in here? And I know that we went to Lake Winnipesoka, right? Everybody's going to Lake Winnie. And when you go to these fairs, there is the area, just like you see here, where, you know, you're able to, to step right up and, and pay your dollar or 50 cents or quarter or probably $10 now, whatever it might be, and you can have your shot at throwing some darts at the balloons. And if you bust a balloon, right, you get a prize. It's awesome. Now, some of my favorites are here. The water gun fun. You guys remember that one? That was when you would sit down and they would actually give you this high-powered water pistol. It was like souping up your garden hose. And you would sit down and you would have a buddy there and you would try to turn and spray it on them, but you couldn't. And they would make you try to spray that stream into the clown's mouth. You remember that? And you, get, you had a little race that you would do and, and whoever could shoot that water stream the, the straightest and hit the target that was in front, you would end up winning. And that was a great one. I never won that one. All right? I never, I never could. I never did that one. So instead, I went to this next one. That was mine right there. That was mine. How many of you love the ducks? Some of you, right? Why? Because there is a prize every time. There's a prize every time. All you had to do, you just had to pick the right duck. And let me tell you, that was harder than it would seem. 
I mean, you would think it was no problem. Just walk in and pick up one of those rubber duckies and you look on the bottom and, and it would have a little color that would be there and that color would represent some prize. I am sure that there was no duck that represented the largest prize. I'm pretty sure about that. But that was, that was mine. That was the one that that was the one that I really enjoyed and um, and wanted to and wanted to be able to do. I think there's is there another one that's up there? Oh man, do you remember the the trying to knock over the milk bottles? Do you remember that one? And you couldn't just knock them off or knock them over. You had to knock them off of the table that they were sitting on, right? And if you did that, you got one of those big prizes. That was where you got the big ones. And so you and all of your buddies would go and you'd line up and you would, you would pay your money because you knew that this was going to be the time. And they always had some guy or gal that would be standing there that would tell you what a good shot you were or what a great thrower you were. Hey, it only takes one more time, right? It only takes one more time. And so you would go back and forth to mom or dad or grandma or grandpa, and you would be begging, come on, let me go one more time. And how many of you left the, left the fair in tears, was taken out of Lake Winnipesoka, you were dragged, crying, all because you did not get to go back one more time. You didn't get the big teddy bear. It never fails. It never fails. Just when my parents would be telling me that nobody wins those things. They'd be saying, oh, nobody wins that. It's all, they're just trying to get your money. There's no way to do it. There would be some guy that would be walking by with two of those things under his arms, right? I mean, two of those big ones. And I'd be like, uh-huh, look, right there. And then that's when I would be drug out and carried to the car. You know, when, when it comes to faith, we could use a little help when it comes to navigating all the voices on the religious and secular midway that are always screaming at us saying, come and try it. Come and, come and do my thing. Come to my booth. You see, every person at some point in time, I believe, has asked the question, is there more to this life? Is there more to this life than what I am currently experiencing? I'm only getting the small little prize. Isn't there more? Isn't there some way that somehow I can get the big one? Well, the question of meaning and purpose apparently begins to be asked more frequently around midlife. Dartmouth College professor and former Bank of England policymaker David Blanchflower claims in a recent study that the dreaded midlife crisis may come about because it coincides with life's peak time of misery. Now, he interviewed people in 132 different countries, and even when he accounted for the controls of other influences upon life's happiness and, and satisfaction, such as income and education level and marriage, and there was a theory that held true. And that theory was this. Age has an effect on overall happiness despite everything else going on in a person's life. And so he concluded, and maybe you read this this week, that there is a peak time of misery. And it's at age 47. Yeah. That is the peak time of misery. And I was reading the article this week, and it hit me. I'm 46. Now, technically, I am in the 47th year of my life. And I'm at the peak of my misery index. 
And so all these different questions began going through my mind. Where did my hair go? Where did this weight come from? Why is the print on the menus getting smaller? And I asked myself, well, what have I really accomplished in life? And, and what am I going to do in the, in, in the future? And, and I started thinking about all these different things and about how miserable I was supposed to be. And it psyched me up so much, I had to go take a nap. I mean, I just couldn't. <laughs> it was like, oh, man, I, I, just need to, I, just, I just need to sleep. <sighs> you know, as we've already pointed out this year, we are all sleepers. We're sleepers. We're cursed to an existence. We're cursed to an existence where our true lives and our identity and our value and our worth, well, it's hidden from us. And the life that we live, we think, is the only life that there is. And the things that we see and the things that we experience, we think, well, this is just what life is supposed to be. To us, this dream state is just, well... It truly is our reality. In our sleep, we focus on our age and we, we ask questions about if we've accomplished enough or we wonder how happy we truly are. We wonder all the things that we've missed out on and in the process, we end up missing out on the reality of God, the reality of God that's, that's all around us. And we become blinded to the light that is also within us. But there are moments... There are moments when we experience the echoes of another reality faintly ringing in our ears. And those echoes stir us with a desire to explore and possibly even discover what it is that we've been missing out on in life. And here's the deal. Our world is full of midway hucksters promising awakenings. Our world is filled with all kinds of voices all kinds of voices that are promising that you can have another life, that if you'll just step right up to their booth, everything will change. Your marriage will change. Your finances will change. Everything will be different when it comes to the way that you see yourself. Everything will be different when it comes to your weight and your health and, and you name it. Our world is filled with midway hucksters. The Torah sends you to Moses. The Quran sends you to Muhammad. Buddhists invite you to meditate. A palm reader wants to see your hand. The televangelist wants your money. One of your neighbors goes out and counts and consults with the stars. The hedonist promises pleasure. The addict promises escape. The agnostic believes that no one can know, and the atheist believes that there is nothing to know. So step right up and participate in my witchcraft. Over here. Check out these New Age channels online. Hey, have you ever thought about Scientology? Go to Mecca. Travel to Salt Lake City. Go to Rome. Swim with the dolphins. Run with the bulls. Buy a new sports car. Where do you go? Or what do I do? Or who do I listen to? That's a good question, isn't it? To whom do I listen? If that is your prayer, then I want you to know that Luke chapter 9 is your chapter. And if you've ever wondered who you should be listening to in a world filled with voices saying, look, 
You've got to come and see what I've got. You, you've, got to, you've got to take this. You've got to buy that. You've got to participate in what I have found. And Luke chapter 9 is for you. Jesus had taken three of his followers on a prayer retreat. He took Peter, James, and John up on a mountain to pray. And as they were praying, it says there in verse 28, the appearance of Jesus, his face was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white. Now I would have, learned to, I would have loved to have heard that prayer. I would have loved to have heard what it was that Jesus was saying. What, I would love to have known what happened in that moment that caused Jesus' inner glory to illuminate his outer countenance. I think we get a glimpse as we continue reading. We get a glimpse maybe of what was happening. The text says that suddenly there were two men, Moses and Elijah. They appeared and began talking with Jesus. They were glorious to see and they were speaking about his exodus from the world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. You see, Jerusalem is on the horizon. And with it, the betrayal, with it, the trials, with it, the crucifixion. So as Jesus was contemplating his future, his father was going to use this moment on the mountain to comfort his son. And Moses and Elijah, they were great comfort givers. Moses understood tough journeys. And Elijah, well, he understood and could relate to an unusual exit. And so while the law and the prophets were conversing with their fulfillment, the disciples, the Bible says, were sleeping. And it was only when they were awake, it was only when they woke up that they saw Jesus' glory and the two men that were standing there with him. And Luke uses a word here that is only used here in this gospel. And it's a word that means to be fully awake. And it emphasizes the way in which the way in which these disciples were jolted from their sleep and they were, came into this point of full alertness all because of the manifestation of the glory of Christ that was present. You see, Jesus had taken them up onto this mountain so that he could show them life from a different perspective. And as he was praying and as his countenance changed, even though the disciples were deep in sleep, there was something about being in the presence of God that awakened them so that they were awake to a point that they had not been before. And I want you to understand, it is that same alertness, it is that same wakefulness that God still desires for his people. That we come out of our slumber and that we're able to see God here in our midst, in our lives, in our city. It is awakening to the way in which he is working around us. It is being able to see past the darkness that seems to be enveloping us so that we might be able to truly live out that inner light that is within us. Fully awake. Fully alive. Fully aware. It's what Jesus desired for his disciples then and now. They were experiencing a new reality, but they didn't know what to do or say. And so I love what takes place in verse 33. It says, as Moses and Elijah were starting to leave, Peter, not even knowing what he was saying, blurted out, Master, it's wonderful to be here. So let's make three shelters, three memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, what will we do without Peter? I mean, what will we do without this guy? He, he doesn't know what he's saying, but it doesn't keep him from speaking. Husbands, can I get an amen from you on that one? Right? 
I mean, some of the wives are in there going, preach, right there, go. I mean, you don't know what you're saying, but it's not going to stop you from saying something. Because you just feel like, I need in this moment to say something. And there have been those times, guys, when your wives have just reached over and patted you on the, you know, patted you on the knee and said, it's okay, dear. <laughs> it's okay, they're there. It's all right, nobody's listening. Yes, it's okay. And, but that's what Peter does. He just blurts out. And he's got this great idea. He thinks, okay, look, well, we're going to set up these booths. We're going to set up these, we're going to set up these little areas that, that people can come to in the future. And, you know, probably there'll be someone who will come and stand alongside these booths and talk about who stood here and how long they were there and what happened. And if you come to this booth and, and maybe you can, you can buy this trinket that we have here and it'll give you a reminder of your time when you were here at this memorial, at this place. And he sees it, he can look into the future. No, it's going to be awesome. But it wasn't God's plan. And Luke continues to describe what happened. He says that even while Peter was speaking, a cloud overshadowed them and terror gripped them as the cloud covered them. And then a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. You see, Peter's error was not that he spoke, but that what he spoke wasn't true. It's the fact that he spoke heresy. Three monuments would equate Moses and Elijah with Jesus. And the disciples had been taken up on this mountain to learn that Jesus had no human equal. And he still doesn't today. God comes in an instant and leaves his disciples speechless and afraid. And he says, this is my son. He doesn't say, he doesn't go, this is, this is a son as if he were clumped in with all the other all the other humans. It doesn't say that this is my best son as if he were the valedictorian of the human race. Jesus is, according to God, my son, my chosen one, so listen to him. In the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you find that God is recorded speaking twice. He speaks at Jesus' baptism and here on the mountain. And at both times, he begins with this idea, this is my son, but at the at the river, he concludes with affirmation. He says, in whom I am well pleased. But here on the mountain, he concludes with clarification. Listen to him. Listen to him. He doesn't command, listen to them. And he could have. Think about the prestigious group that was there. Moses, the lawgiver. Elijah, the prophet. Peter, the Pentecost preacher, James the apostle, John the gospel writer and revelator. God could have said, these are my priceless servants. It could have been recorded in scripture. Listen to them. But that's not what he says. He says, listen to him. Because the definitive voice in the universe is Jesus. And Jesus is not one among many voices. He is the one voice over all voices. And I understand that, that we cross the line when we make that claim. 
And it's something that perhaps is, is easy to say and talk about in a room like this, in a room where, where many believe exactly what it is that I just said. But it becomes more, much more difficult. Much more difficult when surrounded by people who say, you know what, call Jesus godly or, or godlike or God-inspired, but, but don't call him God. Or call him a voice, but not the voice. Call him a good man, but not, but not the God-man. You see, we live in a time where, where all voices claim equal standing. The YouTube blogger and the university professor. The priest and the atheist. The Democrat and the Republican. And while we should receive, we all should receive the opportunity to be able to speak, we need to understand something. Everything that is said does not carry the same validity. And this is something that I think really, for, for many of, of, our, of our teens and, and some of those who are young, that we need to be reminded of and hear again, that just because somebody says it and they have a YouTube site or they've put it out on Instagram or it's on Twitter and just because they are certified and have millions of followers does not make what they say true. It doesn't make what they say true. And that's why that's why referring to Jesus as merely a good man is precisely the terminology that we cannot accept. A good man would not say what Jesus said. And a good man would not claim what Jesus claimed. A liar would, or a God would. Call him anything in between and, and you end up with a dilemma. Because no one believed that Jesus was more God than Jesus did. And that's why we encourage you to, to go and investigate the things that Jesus actually said about himself and the way in which he received those that talked to him. His followers worshipped him and he didn't tell them to stop. Peter and Thomas and Martha all called him the Son of God and he did not tell them that they were wrong. At his own trial, his accusers asked, Are you the Son of God? And he answered them and said, Yes, I am. His purpose in his own words was to give his life as a ransom for many. And according to Jesus, no one could kill him. He said, I lay down my life on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority again to, to take it up. And could he have been more audacious than when he said in John chapter 14 and verse 9, He who has seen me has seen the Father. He says, if you've seen me, then you have seen God. And so, make no mistake about it. Jesus saw himself as God. And because of that, it leaves us only two options. Either we accept him as God, or reject him as a liar. One of the two. And I know that we try to create different alternatives. Different ways in which we would like to, to look at Jesus and, and how we would like just to be able to place him and to lump him with all the others who have given great speeches and all the others who have given, or who have given birth to great movements. But suppose I try to do the same. Suppose I try to have it both ways. Maybe you came up and found me one day and, 
And I was standing on the side of the road, and, and being the nice, the nice Christian that you are, you pulled over and you said, hey, Chris, you need some help? And I told you, you know, I'm just, I'm just confused. I'm just confused, and I can't decide which way to go, if I should go north or south. And so you say, well, well which way do you think you are going? And I say, well, I'm going to go north. That's where I'm going to go. I'm going to go north. Well, you think you didn't hear me correctly. You say, excuse me, which way are you going? I say, well, I, I can't decide, so I'm just going to go north. And you say, you can't go north. There's no such thing as north. You either go north or you go south. And so I concede, and I say, all right, I'll go north. That's what I'll do. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just go north, and you go, wait a minute, no, no, north isn't an option either. It's either north or south. It's one or the other. It's right or left. When it comes to this road, you're going to have to pick. And when it comes to Christ, each and every one of us must do the same. We either call him crazy, or we must crown him king. We dismiss him as a fake or declare him to be God. We walk away from him or we bow down before him. But don't play games with him. Do not call Jesus a great man. Don't just clump him in with Moses and Elijah and, and Buddha and Joseph Smith and Muhammad and Confucius and whoever else might come along the path. He didn't leave that option. He is either God or he is godless. He is all hope or he is all hype, but he is nothing in between. C.S. Lewis summarized the choice when he wrote the following. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would, would not be a great moral teacher. He'd be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg. Or else he would be the devil of hell. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that option for us. And he did not intend to. Jesus took... Peter, James, and John to the mountain. He took them there because just a few days earlier, Peter had declared him to be the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so he took them to the mountain to show them exactly what that statement meant. Jesus would not and will not be diminished. He is still as much God today as he was on the mountain then. And his father still longs for those who follow him to see him as such. And listen. Listen to him. Besides, do you really want Jesus to be less than God? I mean, don't you need a distinctive voice in this noisy world? Of course you do. I mean, everybody's hollering at you. Everybody's shouting online. Everybody is writing a book. Everybody's on television. Everybody's at the office. 
Everybody's at the bar. Everybody's on campus and they're all saying, hey, look, I've got something new and I've got something. This is what your life needs and this is what you've been waiting for and, and this is your new awakening. And if you're close to 47, you, you think, I need it. I need it because I'm at my misery index, the peak of it. And friends, whether you're approaching or you've blown past that misery peak, the answer for each and every one of us is the same. If we really want to experience life at its fullest, then we must wake up and listen to Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. After all, you've heard a ton of voices in your life. Why not listen to his? Why not? I mean, you've listened to a lot of other voices. And where has it gotten you? Why not listen to Jesus? He'd love to talk to you about your marriage. He'd love to talk to you about your, your personal value and worth. He'd love to have a conversation with you when it comes to your future. Talk with you about your anxiety. Talk with you about your pain. Talk with you about your life. Talk with you about your death. You can read about his life. You can discover many of his teachings as you read through the Gospels that are in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I encourage you, if you've never taken the time just to, to walk in his footsteps, just for the next few weeks, for the next couple of months, choose a gospel, any gospel. Walk through it. Listen to him. Don't miss how he claims to be God. Don't miss how he, he makes demands on your life. Don't, don't miss how he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and laden, and I will give you rest. There's a huckster on every corner. There's a new voice online every minute. Why not let today be the day that you allow the voice of Jesus to ring clear? This is your mountain experience. Father, I thank you so much. I thank you for not, not leaving us just here in the midst of this life with with all of these voices without having clarity. I'm grateful for the, the mountain experience that those disciples had centuries ago and how that through reading about it and seeing that we were able to gain a glimpse into what it is that you would like for us to understand today. How that you desire for us to make a decision about who Jesus is. And most of the people in this room, I'm just going to hazard to guess, have, have made the decision that he is the Christ, the Son, the living God, just as Peter said. But, but I think there's a reminder that needs to come to each and every believer. And we need to hear the words again today, listen to him. That if we believe that Jesus is truly who he truly claimed to be, then we need to listen 
Listen as he tells us how to treat one another. Listen as he tells us how to structure our lives. Listen as he tells us the direction that we need to follow. Listen as he tells us that we can be forgiven. So Father, we thank you. We thank you for times like this where you can again take us to the mountain. May we be able to see you more clearly because of the time that we have spent together here in your word today. And Father, my prayer is that for those who are here today, that anyone here who has been asleep, that they might be fully awakened. That they might be able today to see you more clearly, that they might respond in a way that would bring honor and glory to you. And Father, that we would all be individuals who would listen closer to the direction that comes from the one and only voice, your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. If you need to respond to that voice this morning, I encourage you to do so as together we stand and sing.